Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is the Improv Chronicle Podcast. I'm Lloydie. Two-person shows have been a growing trend in improv, and with the release of a three-part Netflix special from improvisers Thomas Middleditch and Ben Schwartz, there's now a mainstream spotlight on improvised duos. Despite theatres being closed right now, people around the world are talking about and forming opinions on what an improvised two-person show can be. This episode, you'll hear about different styles of shows and how things change when you move from improvising as an ensemble and start improvising with just one other person on the stage with you. We start at the Magnet Theatre in New York, where Lewis Cornfield and Rick Andrews have been performing their two-person show, Cornfield and Andrews, on Sunday nights for the past six years. I don't want to be adorable. I don't want my first impression to be adorable, because then it just projects like... I think that's your secret weapon. Adorable? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nah. What's 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 your what's your male machismo? What's your attractiveness? What's your main number one uh, selling point? Uh, confidentiality. <laughs> I would say we uh, improvise uh, something in the spirit of an hour-long play um, that tends to be at a slightly slower pace than what most people associate with improv. Uh, tends to be about characters who are a little bit more grounded and a little bit more realistic than you tend to associate with improv. Um, and our goal is to uh, do a show that's that's entertaining for people with uh, the minimum amount of effort on our parts. But, <laughs> Do you think that's fair? Yeah, yeah. If if we find ourselves with two characters who don't have to move at all for an hour, I think that we we walk off stage feeling like something went right. Yeah, my 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 like holy grail for our show would be doing a show where we literally sit completely still for an hour, and uh, <laughs> at like at like an hour and one minute, one of us turns our head a little bit, and the audience goes crazy, and the lights black out. <laughs> That, that to me would be like I, I aspire for that level of efficiency in the show. It's not an achievable goal, but it's that's that's the direction that our it points towards. Yeah. Well, I think we try to do whatever it is the person would do, and so some shows might start us off in the middle of something active, and there's people in a store getting 
uh, snacks, and why would they stay in the store? So they leave and they go and they get in the car. They walk down the street. They, you know, if we find ourselves with two people who are in the middle of a moment that is not changing, why would we artificially try to change it? So I think it's just trying to accept whatever's happening as being the exact right thing to happen and, and go go with that as long as that feels like it's the right thing. And if that's the whole show, that's the whole show. If, if not, then something else will happen. Uh, but I think not trying to force it either way uh, and just kind of let things be uh, is, is where our mind's at. I first saw Cornfield and Andrews a couple of years ago and marveled at their patience and their dedication to character. It's an incredible show. However, taking it slow isn't the only way to go, as exemplified by Monica Gaga and Jodie Ann F.R., a.k.a. London improv duo, Derek's Mojo. Fun, fast feminist is one wonderful tagline that Monica came up with for us. We get stories from the audience or suggestions from the audience, which we we get the questions for what we're going to get from the audience from the story that we're telling. And then audiences are so wonderful because they share things with us. They share their stories or they share their ideas, whatever they've come up with. And it's kind of like a gift when an audience gives you something like that and taking it and and turning it into a story and, and into a new narrative. It's just such a lovely thing. And having that gift from the audience and being able to share it with them and give it back to them as something new and, and fuzzy and all sparkles and bells is such a nice thing to do. It's such a buzz. Jodie Ann, I definitely feel like the love and the excitement just comes out whenever you, you speak about it. And the audience definitely are giving us gifts. And I just realised, just in reflection, that I'm a little bit of a greedy um, gift receiver in the sense of they give us a, uh, this gift or the story or a sharing or a suggestion. And I want to hear more and more and more. And I forget just for a little bit that um, we're here to um, create something from that, not just to have a, a talk show with one audience member. <laughs> when it comes to two-person improv, two names that come into my mind are powerhouse improvisers Susan Messing and Rachel Mason in Chicago. But they didn't start off as a duo, as Rachel explains. So Susan and I started out as a four-man with Kate Duffy and Emily Candini, and we were called Children of a Lesser God. And each one of us played like, um, like, like feral raccoons like just scratching and tearing and then Emily left and we didn't have to scratch and tear as much and we became the playboys and Kate was sort of like our thoughtful player and I was our heart player and Susan was our wild player and then when Kate moved to LA and it was just me and Susan we both discovered that we complimented each other very very well although I she hates when I say this we have a duo together, the boys, and we call that We Make It Worse. And in that show, we just dig holes and Susan and I go toe-to-toe. But I am also her main partner in messing with a friend. But since her name is on that show, I play a little differently. Like I serve her in that show, if that makes any sense. I, I guess you're reacting to her offers more? Yes, as opposed to editing and like going toe-to-toe in our two-man. That is interesting in and of itself. Can I dig into that slightly? Of um, course. What, what is it like having a duo where you have two very different shows that you, that you put on? Um, what Messing with a Friend has is tons of scenes, tons of joy. Uh, she calls it an uncensored romp through hell. So it's much more playful and like anything goes. 
in the boys, because I go toe to toe with her and I tend to be a headier improviser, I think we end up finding more patterns. Um, or like, like at the end, we're always like, wow, we, that was a thing. Whilst things began for Rachel and Susan as part of a bigger team, it was the formation of a team with the idea that it might grow bigger that was the genesis of a legendary Chicago improv duo, TJ and Dave. I've lost count of the number of improvisers that I know that have been inspired by them, but I do know that I'm amongst that number. David Pasquese recalls how it began. Yeah, we didn't just start out start out to do a two-person show. We just decided we wanted to do something together, and we weren't sure how many people were going to be in it. And um, decided that it's easier to ask people to join than unask them. So we decided to be prudent about who we'd ask to join, and we decided that we'll ask as need be. We'll try it with the two of us, and if we need more, we'll ask. And we, so the first show we did was not like what we're currently doing. Um, it was these three separate scenes um, that were unconnected, completely different characters and locations and everything. Um, and I didn't, I, neither of us cared for it. So the next time we just decided to um, stay in the scene and try to see what happens. And that's when we decided, I think, consciously to attempt to, as an experiment, see how these things that we say we believe in actually work. We say we believe that all that's required is we need to respond honestly moment to moment, given everything else that's been established. That's, um, we say we do that, but let's actually do that. Uh, how would you describe the style of the show? I guess it's organic improvisation, I, I think would be a, an accurate description. And what kind of process are you going through from the moments the lights come up? Because unlike most improv shows, you, you, know, you don't take a suggestion. Right. Um, from the moment the lights go up, the idea of, the, of what we're doing is to respond honestly in this moment uh, taking into consideration everything else that's been established in this uh, scene, relationship, show up until this point. So when the lights go up, we are responding honestly to what we're, what is happening right now. When, and there's already stuff happening before anyone starts speaking. So um, we just try to uh, behave as though all that is true. And you say there's already stuff happening before you start speaking. What, yeah, what do you mean specifically by that? Um, there's a relationship that's already established. Um, there's certainly we have proximity, we have uh, physicality, we have a look on someone's face. There, there's a lot of information before any words and this is, these are the kinds of things that I think we do all the time. When you're walking down the street, you see someone, you suss them out, you determine whether or not, first of all, whether this is a danger, and then um, other things beyond that. But we're doing, we never speak to those people, and we, we can glean a lot about them. And we're usually probably pretty accurate. Back at the beginning of March, on what was the penultimate week of theatres being open, I managed to catch a duo that never failed to make me laugh. 
and always leave me with a sense of delight. The show is at the Upright Citizens Brigade's New York Theatre, which now sadly has closed permanently. I managed to spend some time backstage before a show to chat to the two cast members who were just about to go on. Uh, hi, I'm Scott Atzit. Uh, I'm an improviser from Chicago, um, and my partner John Lutz and I met in Chicago, I think. I was a at Second City a little before John, um, and then we started working together once we were both in New York. Uh, I was working on 30 Rock, and so was he. Yeah. Hi, I'm John Lutz. I'm also a Chicago improviser. Um, and right now I write for Late Night with Seth Meyers. Um, and yes, Scott and I met. Uh, I think you stayed in my apartment um, a while, like, w- w- before you even got 30 Rock. Um, I think we met here, and I was a fan of yours in Chicago. We might have performed together briefly, but we really didn't know each other until New York. So how did John and Scott find things different when they're performing as a duo, as opposed to being in a multi-person ensemble? Uh, Your mind is always working when you're improvising, even if it's a two-person or a six-person or ten-person or or huge, like Armando thing, where there's like just tons of people. Um, I find that my mind lets go more in a two-person show because I have to focus on being in the moment at all times. And on the sidelines, sometimes if it's a bigger group thing, I can. It's a. Di- it's just different in that I can be planning moves in my head a little bit more bef- before I do them when I edit. And here you just have to find it as you go and kind of put things in the back of your head and hope that they're there later, which more often than not they are. And also, it's like everything you do is responded to. Yes. And immediately, and and you can focus all of your attention on one other person. You can you can just make one person look good the whole time, and hope to to bolster what they're doing, um, and not have to think about five different relationships in one scene going on. You can you can. It's a much purer kind of scene, yes. I think. When it comes to the difference between ensembles and duos, Rachel Mason thinks choosing who you improvise with is really important. So let me start by saying it this way. I think the best ensembles put themselves together. And largely ensembles don't get that choice. They're put together via auditions that somebody else is running or they're just your class. So ensembles that put themselves together tend to like they have the same sense of humor or the same reference level or the same love of a style. So when we're pair away like 12 people down to two, we have like, we have that on a, on a micro level, like it's very in tune and you get to see like a comfortability where people like Susan and I can finish each other's sentences. And I like, when she does something, I like, I almost know where she's going to go. Trap, you put in your vagina, and then all of a sudden it grabs onto a dick. That is like some medieval torture shit. But then it tells Roger not to have sex with you. Oh my god. We could get every woman on the West Wing to put some broken glass in there. The hard part about a two person as opposed to like group improv, like in group improv, while you and your friend are playing pilots. The rest of your buddies can make the plane. And that is incredible. And when it's just me and Susan, like we have to bring the plane with us. I don't know if that makes any sense. 
<laughs> I think I get where you're coming from because you're doing all your own support work, basically. Yeah, yes. Like I, some people were like, uh, my 12 person team has 15 minutes. We're so nervous. And I'm like, why? It was well, so, I'm like me and Susan do two, two prom for 45 minutes to an hour. Like I couldn't imagine being on a 13 person team and only having 15 minutes. That's crazy to me. So I guess that's another benefit. Like there's breath in a two prov and the audience can feel more voyeuristic in a two prov like really like a fly on a wall. The audience's perception of it is something that Monica and Jody Ann from Derek's Mojo think is a notable difference as well. I think maybe like first you're like, wow, there's just two of them. So when it comes to, to going down to two or less performers in improv, there's for want of a better term, nowhere else to hide. It's the two <laughs> of you. You don't have that time to maybe sit back and go, oh, I'm really enjoying my other players on stage, maybe like the other two, three people that are in my troupe. But I can uh, take a, a seat back and, uh, yeah, I can take a step back and maybe I'll come in halfway through the show um, if that's where I feel like it might be needed. I feel like having a two-prov, you definitely are, you can be more engaged as a performer and very hyper-aware. Um, and then it's... A second thing I would say that I love about Two Prov and what makes it different, um, and hopefully it won't be a massive backlash, but I feel like it has to definitely come from a place of love. Most of the Two Provs I see and the Two Provs that have lasted a long time, and now that I'm saying it, it's probably for bigger groups as well, it comes from a place of one, I just like being with this person, and yeah. then two, I really enjoy like playing with this person also, and then three, we want to we wanna make something and we're really invested in this thing that we're making. This is our this is our baby that you can hopefully you'll be able to see that you are like, oh, they love that so much. They're enjoying it and they're so, so invested. With a two prov, um, it has all those wonderful things that Monica was just outlining is, is so true. I and mean, it's I wouldn't necessarily say that a two prov is necessarily better or anything than an ensemble piece or even a solo prov because they all have their own genius things about them and doing them Definitely. as a performer having the chance to do the two prov with Monica is, is it's a completely different connection and a different way of operating on stage and, and you really are bouncing off each other and and the, the, the communication you have to have and the trust that you have to have with the other person and when you're an ensemble piece there's there's it's a different dynamic um it's no greater or lesser thing it's, it's it's just a complete I mean you have that and then that's another lovely experience as an improviser that you get when you're in there with a big team and, and you are giving and taking and standing back to let other people shine more or, or, or being allowed to shine yourself and your other team members step back and that whole different dynamic in the group and it's such a different dynamic when you go up from two to three to four to a big or to a big multi-jam um, and that's one of the great things about improvisation is having to adapt your or instinctively adapt your performance style and mm -hmm. your you know, the way you're receiving everything and performing, depending upon the number of people that you're playing with. And that adaptability is, is such a buzz and highly addictive. Back to New York. And when it comes to the difference between ensembles and duos, Cornfield and Andrews have been thinking about thinking. In a show with a larger cast where you're not in every scene, you I find myself kind of objectifying the show a little bit. When I'm not in a scene, 
I'm watching and I'm thinking a lot about these characters and I'm, I'm kind of thinking a little bit more with the director's mind and a little bit more the writer's mind and, and kind of um, mapping possible places to take ideas that are probably going to be rich in content. And in the, in the two person show, you just can't, you never have a, you never have a space to be able to take a bird's eye view of it. You're just always in it. So um, like for me, I, I try to spend as much of the show as possible. The, the more I, I just try to believe what's really happening and try to try to treat the show as if it was me. If I happen to be living this person's life, the easier it is to just kind of stay in the show and, and not um, stress out too much. Rick, I don't want to be stepping on your toes with this. I do think that we've talked a lot when shows don't go great. We yes. kind of, we picked apart choices that we made that maybe led it to not go great. And I will sometimes, if we come up against like a fork in the road in a show, um, I will rely on certain certain discoveries we've made together over time to guide me to what is probably yeah. the best choice. But I think a lot of times too, some a lot of those lessons for me at least end up coming back to don't get ahead. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like I think about um, uh, shows where in the middle of a show, I think there's two kinds of quote, quote unquote kind of mid show realizations. There's, there's things personal to the character. Like I, like Lewis might say something or I might do something that might make me discover something that's true about my character in my mind, but that I didn't know before, but that has been true for this character the whole time. And I might not say it right away. It might just be something, might be something inconsequential. It might be something like a big deal. Like um, I have a crush on this person or whatever. And I, I think that kind of realization is really easy to carry and hold then there's a version of it that's kind of like, oh, this should happen later, or I want X to happen. And that kind of thing is bad. <laughs> or it's not necessarily, if it's going to happen naturally, you could you should just let it happen naturally. Because I think when I get ahead of myself, um, that's when I end up making a choice that, that in hindsight after the show feels kind of limp, or it, it, it kind of came off the bat wrong, where it just felt like, oh, I, I had this vision of what it would be, and it wasn't that. No matter what, when you're in a duo, you're pretty much always on stage. A final word this episode on the inescapable amount of stage time two-person improv gives us from David Pasquese. Right, and I think there's two sides of that. You're always pretty much on. That's one of the problems I find with group work is when you're standing in the back, you're, you're not participating. And so it's harder to join is it even in your mindset because sometimes you can't help it all of a sudden you're just a an audience member that just happens to be very close to the actors um and so to rejoin it is difficult so we don't have that problem because we're always we're always right there one of the limitations is cast size and one of the benefits is cast size and um we learned just by doing it that, oh, we can play other people. And that's something that we enjoy doing. We don't have to just be these two people. We can, and we don't have to just do two person scenes. I mean, they will be two humans, but there can be multiple characters within that scene that we just play them all. When you take a look at the show notes from this episode, you'll see links to online shows and books from some of the participants you've heard. Whether it's watching a show or buying a book or an online series, it's a really good time to support performers if you're able. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Next time on the Improv Chronicle podcast. You're going to hear about edits, playing multiple roles, And we're going to be digging further into the feeling of just how special the phenomenon of a two-person show is to both performers. You two-timing tart. We'll be reflecting on what makes it work and how you can as well. The Improv Chronicle podcast is produced and presented by me, Lloydie James Lloyd. Please subscribe and rate us on your favourite podcast app by going to ratethispodcast.com slash improvchronicle. And if you have an idea for a possible episode... Get yourself to improvchronicle.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.